So we're going to be looking tonight at five tips um, taking our family relationships to the next level because family relationships are very important to God. Very important to God. And I'll prove that from the Word to you in just a minute. And when we look at this, we don't want to look at, limit it just to our biological family. We definitely want to start it there, but God has also called us into the body of Christ. We're born again. We are now sons and daughters of the Most High God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, and we are brothers and sisters. So whether you like it or not, you're my brother or my sister. I'm your brother, that's constant, but you, depending on your gender, you're my brother or my sister. We're family. We're family. Look at somebody and say, you're, we're family. Don't, don't give them that look, though. Just look at them with a smile and say, we're family. Hallelujah. Because this is so important to God. Let me take you to the Word of God and prove to you how important this is. In 1 Timothy 5 and 8, God says something uh, through the Apostle Paul by his Spirit that is really cutting here. And if this doesn't get your attention, then something is missing in between your ears, okay? Um, so shake it and see if anything rattles and rolls. If, if you're not getting this, this is important. He said, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. He's saying here, if you don't take care of the family, then don't even claim that you're a believer. Don't even tell people you're a Christian. He said, because, he said, the very heart of who I am and how I've established society is to be built upon family. And the very uh, uh, mirror image of that, that type and shadow of my body, the body of Christ, as my sons and daughters that I've given reconciliation, that I've given justification, that I've given my son to bring atonement and, 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 to, and to reconcile the relationship, all of that is reflected in the home and the family because I'm a God of family. And I'm not going to let you disparage, I'm not going to let you mistreat, and I'm not going to let you neglect that mirror reflection of what and who we are. So he, he says this very stern thing here, that if we're not going to take care of our own family, we're to take care uh, of, for our family at large. We are a fam part of the family of the human race, we're, especially if you're a Christian, you're part of the family of God, as uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, hallelujah. But we also have physical families that God puts us in that we have a responsibility for. So it sounds like to me that God is very, very concerned and interested and in watching the family unit and uh, because of that reflection of his relationship with the body of Christ. Now, if something is very, very, very important to God, do you think it would be very, 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 very targeted by the enemy? I believe family is under one of the number one things that's under attack. I believe when you go into the Pentagon of, of hell, which is not hell yet, because all of uh, uh, we know hell and is going to be cast into the eternal abyss, but that, that spiritual warfare that takes place in that mid-heaven, that command post center of where Satan is right now, I believe the Pentagon of that command post center, I believe the strategies are more focused on the family. Family destruction, relational destructions, than anything else. 
He does not want the healthy earthly family, and he does not, Satan does not want a healthy uh, uh, relationship with us in the family of God. So he's fighting churches. He's trying to get churches to split and destroy, and he's, as he's trying to get earthly families to split and destroy. So you must understand that there's a lot of warfare going on against your family. A lot of warfare. And when you pray, you need to pray against that. You have authority. You have exousia authority over all the dunamis power of the enemy. We can't let him get by with this. Whatever we bind on earth will be bound in his, in his oh, war zone, you might would say. And whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in that war zone. So what we need to do is be very specific and let our strategy be to counteract what the enemy is doing to try and destroy our family. I guarantee if I were to hold the mic up here and say, uh, would anybody be willing to be vulnerable and come up and share uh, uh, some, some, some horror stories of how the enemy has tried to destroy your family? And I guarantee you most of us could come up here and we could show you some scars, not physically in our body, but some scars of where the enemy has been sending in arrows and sending in attack and sending in missile and sending in bombs and sending in, uh, he'll, use, uh, he'll use chemical warfare, he'll, he, he'll, he'll cheat, he'll play dirty, he doesn't go by any rules, all he wants to do is destroy your family. Your family is under attack, your physical family and your spiritual family as the family of God. That's why it breaks my heart when I see uh, folks that, that maybe things didn't work out just right for them or didn't happen the way they wanted it to happen or their, uh, their expectations weren't met even though folks didn't even know what their expectations were and they go out and they trash the body of Christ. And, and I know exactly where it's coming from. It's coming from the pit of hell. It's a strategy of the enemy. You know, Jesus loves uh, His bride. And, and no more than if you were married, do you want somebody to come and trash your spouse? I mean, would you just sit there and listen to it and them trashing your spouse? Well, when you trash the church, you're trashing the bride of Christ. And, and it's all a ploy of the enemy to get people rebelling against the plan of God. Now, is any family perfect? You're supposed to say, mine is. No, no. <laughs> no, there's no family perfect. Is there any church that's perfect? No. So why in the world would we impose perfection when we ourselves, if we walk through the doors of that house or we walk through the doors of that church, we bring our imperfection. So even if it was perfect, but by us being there, we've just messed, up, messed it up. Let's take on some responsibility here, right? So, so we just have to understand where this is coming from because the rhetoric is very intense, and now with social media and all that is out there, there is a great, the enemy has really leveraged, and he has, uh, I've seen him using it over the last five years, four to five years. I see it increasing exponentially against the body of Christ and against the family, the physical family. Uh, there's more trash and more dirt and more arrows thrown at, you know, at family members and then at the church than any other attacks that I see on social media. I'm here to tell you the enemy, is if he had his way, there wouldn't be a such thing as a family and there wouldn't be a such thing as a church. But we know that God is greater and if we learn from God's Word and we will do our part, we can be a part of the remnant that, that continues to go forth and be the light that dispels the darkness and spreads the glory of God here on earth as the waters cover the sea. Amen? Amen. Uh, any of you ever heard of Warren Buffett? Okay, Warren Buffett 
think is the second richest man in the world. I think uh, they were just saying uh, this, this past week, I think it was, since uh, the new elections and, and how stock market and all that stuff has gone up, that he's, he's an investor, so he's like worth 73 billion, 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 billion dollars. Can you imagine? One man worth $73 billion. And he's one of the few billionaires that acquired the majority of his wealth through investing. So many investors, they look to him for investment advice because he has really proven that his model and his methods work. Um, his firm, Berkshire Hathaway, has one of the most widely read annual reports in the world. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a report that has more eyes read over it than any other report in the world. And, uh, and then there's a book that was written uh, called The Warren Buffett Way, and it has definitely been a bestseller. Imagine if you had the opportunity to sit down with Warren Buffett. Let's say you had some money to invest, and you had the opportunity to sit down with him. Would you like to get some investment tips from him? I think they would be worth trusting, right? Because he's truly proven over the years, the many, many years he's been investing. Uh, I just wish you would imagine for a moment that your family is the greatest capital in all of the world. That if you had a choice between your family and $73 billion, it wouldn't even, you wouldn't even think twice you go with the family because you would see that as the plan of God, the purpose of God, the foundation God has given humanity, whereas the money comes and goes, the Bible says, uh, as the wind blows, the family is made by God and, and, and we are eternal. So if you could see your family as the greatest investment in all of the world, do you think some investment tips would be wise to pick up on how you might invest in your family so that you can get a greater return? You can, make, you can take your family into its God-designed destiny and fulfill that? Well, you know, with the Bible, in the Bible that we have here tonight, we hold here, it has the investment strategies for growing our family relationships. For the Bible, God's Word, is written in written form. It contains pro-family principles and precepts. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. Five tips from the Word of God on how to take our family to the next level. Let's just dive right into tip number one. Tip number one is work to understand each other. Work to understand each other. We are all different by God's design. Not one of us are identical to the other. Even if you were identical twins, you're still not identical, I promise you, in personality and in many, many other ways. How many of you in here have your own, say, a DVD or a DVR or a Tableau or TiVo player, Blu-ray player, recorder or something like that in your house? How many of you have that? Okay. How many of you know how to program it? Okay, how I many of you don't know how to program it? How many of you would admit that you don't know how to program it if your spouse wasn't looking at you right now? No, no, we'll leave that alone. Okay, so there's a big difference between owning something and understanding how it works, right? And many times, all of us are born into families. Some very scrambled families, some very traditional families, some unique families, but we're all born into families, and even though we know that we're a part of the family, you know, knowing how the family operates with our different personalities can be somewhat of a challenge. Um, you know, how many of us know someone close to you that speaks another language? Some, yeah, good, good, good number of you. 
People, you know, with a nodding acquaintance with a second language really still leaves you with a big gap between hearing words and understanding the meaning of the words. Our children laugh when we go to, to the West Coast once a year and visit with Pastor Rodica's mom and dad and all of her sisters that live there and all the nephews and nieces and all. They all speak English except Buna and Bunu, her mom and dad. And uh, they learned enough English. They got their citizenship. They moved to the West Coast in a Romanian community. They planted a Romanian church. It's all in Romanian. They Romanian shopping, Romanian banking. So they lost their English. So uh, <laughs> it was quite uh, comical the last time we were there. Uh, I was trying to communicate with Bunu. That's Papa or, or her dad. Uh, John, and, uh, and he's the nicest guy, full of the Holy Ghost, loves God, loves to preach, loves to minister. He's just an amazing guy, and I want to get to know him better, so I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm just asking him questions, and he's saying, yeah, yeah, and then I'm like, I don't know if he's really understanding me, so then I asked him some off-the-wall stuff, and the little ones, uh, Morgan and Caleb, were there with me, and I asked him something kind of strange, and he said, yeah, yeah. And then I, I, then I asked something really, really strange, and he went, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he had a head nodding, a nodding acquaintance you know, with what I was saying, but he didn't know what I was saying. And then, he, then I found a translator on my phone, Romanian to English, English, and I'm trying to say it in it and let him read it, and then he starts laughing. He said, no, 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 no. And uh, I remember when I first uh, fell in love. Oh, my. The heavens opened and the hallelujah chorus was sung in the bright light. And God said, this is the one you're going to marry. I didn't know she was Romanian. And, uh, and I was so excited. I came back here and I told everybody. Came back to the church. I'd been pastoring here. and started the church then. It had been three years. And I got up and... And I reckon everybody thought I was going to be a you know, single guy the rest of my life because I didn't date because that would be odd dating folks in the church. And I, I was stuck in the church. So I couldn't get outside the church. So I wouldn't meet new people. And it was, looked like it was never going to happen. But when you trust the Lord, he can bring them from Eastern Europe if he needs to uh, for you. I'm telling you that. Praise God. So uh, I came back and I told everybody. I said, I have met my wife. This is amazing. They said, well, what does she look like? I said, I don't know. They said, how do you not know? I said, well, there was a bright light from heaven and the hallelujah chorus. And they said, oh, that sounds so funny. I said, no, really and truly it was. They said, oh, no, no. And they said, what does she look like? I said, I don't know. I said, I know she has braces, though. They said, how do you know that? Were they glistening in the light? I said, no, my uncle, when we were leaving, I told my uncle, I said, she's going to bear my children. And he said, she'll be cute when she gets her braces off. So I know she wears braces. And uh, so my uh, best friend from college had moved here. I moved him here to be my associate so that I could meet with him with the opposite sex because we wanted to keep a church of integrity and wholeness in every aspect, even fleeing the appearance of evil. And he wanted to attend Regents. So we worked that, out that deal. He was my associate. So he was like, no way. I can't believe this. So he pushed me, the, I think it was two weeks later, that we got to go back to Greenville, South Carolina from here and he wanted to see if this person was real. He said, I know you. I know how conservative you are. You've just come back. You've lost your mind. I think something bumped you on the head when you were on that trip. Something's not right. So I took him back. And when we drove up and she was sitting outside uh, waiting for us to arrive, and I saw her, I got so nervous. I got so nervous. My heart started pounding because I'm like, oh, she's beautiful. Oh, she's beautiful. It was amazing. 
And, uh, and we went in and met her mom and her mom came up and she began speaking Romanian and crying and, 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 and kissing me on both sides of the cheek and crying. And, and I was like, oh, I don't know what's happening here. And Radika's crying. And then I said, what's going on? She interprets and she says, you know, my mom had a vision and in the vision the Lord showed her you and said, when, I show, when you see this man, this is the man I chose for your daughter. So I've never, even though I don't communicate uh, with my in-laws, I've never had an argument that I know of we may have, I just didn't know about it. And, uh, but they have been so supportive for 21 years, 22 years uh, with the, our engagement uh, in that because of the Lord. The Lord loves the family so much that He bridged the gap of uh, our communication barrier to bring us together. He spoke in visions to her mother to bring forth confirmation uh, for them to come and be a part. And they brought her, move, helped move her up here uh, during our engagement period. She lived with my aunt, uh, and uh, we were together six months every day doing ministry. I wanted her to see exactly what ministry was. And then in the evening, we would go spend the evenings with my aunt and then leave her there until the next day. And, um, but when I first came back, I had a wedding to do that Saturday, and it was up at the Founders Inn. And I just couldn't help. I mean, I'm marrying these people, and I'm like, I'm so happy for y'all, but I found my wife. Hallelujah. I was telling everybody. And there was this gentleman there that had done some mission trips to Romania, and uh, he says, you know, I said, she's from Romania. He said, well, here, let me teach you some Romanian. And I said, okay. And he says, uh, uh, Gabrielle, you're here too. Okay, so I got to be careful. Okay. So he said, I'm going to teach you some Romanian. <laughs> and uh, I said, okay. And uh, so I get a napkin out, and I'm writing it down. And, uh, and it's Tim Teyubashte. And you say, you call her up and you tell her, Tim Teyubashte. Now, now, mind you, we just met in passing. Could you imagine the next thing I call you and say, Tim Teyubashte? And Gabrielle would say, no, no, you don't do that. But uh, I, I did it. And, she, and, and I said, and I did it and I practiced it. And I was so proud. I said, oh, Rodika. I was rolling my R's. Rodika, you know, Tim Teyubashte. And uh, she said, she didn't say anything. And I said, maybe I didn't say it right. I said, <clears throat> Tim Teyubeshte. And she still didn't say anything. And I says, what does this mean? She says, where did you get it from? And I said, Russell James. And she knows Russell James, and he's quite the nut, and uh, in a fun way. And, uh, and I said, what does it mean? She said, you know. I said, I don't know. She says, yes, you do know. I said, I don't know. I promise you. Uh, I said, what does it mean? She says, ask Russell James. And she wouldn't tell me. She wouldn't tell me. Now, it wasn't anything bad. I was just telling her, or the first time I ever really talked to her, is I'm in love with you. I love you. You know. And um, so she was very cool. That girl, very cool right there. Uh, another time we were all sitting together during our engagement, and uh, we, we were all, our family had come here, and there was a wedding or something here, and they were all gathered, and it was all around the table. It was a big, like the Waltons and even more. And, um, and I'd been practicing some Romanian because I want to speak, you know, what my family is. And, and they're all talking, and I jump right in with my Romanian, and I said something that brought deafening silence around the table, like that. And I was like, what did I say? And Rodica, she says, that's Rodica, she says, I'll tell you later. I'll talk to you later. Don't say it again. In other words, I was cussing them. I didn't, you know, I hear the preachers cussing them. You're saying some ugly stuff. I didn't know it. And I, was, and I would say everything I said with passion because I want, they're passionate people, you know. And I'll join right in. So I was passionately cussing my to-be-in-laws as a pastor. <laughs> wow. 
we've over the 21 years of marriage, we've I've worked hard and she's worked hard, and we have learned each other's language, which goes beyond English and goes beyond uh, Romanian. I can tell you that. Praise God. But you gotta, you gotta that first tip. You gotta work to understand each other. And uh, 1 Peter 3, 7 states, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife. So we, the Bible tells us that we're to dwell with our spouse with understanding. That's a command of God's Word. That we are to work at understanding each other, not being understood. Selfishness works at being understood, but a giving Christ-like heart will work at understanding. Maybe there's still, maybe you've been married 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, uh, and there's still conflict because you've not been willing to roll up your sleeves and work towards understanding. You know, this goes beyond husband and wife. This goes with our children as well. Children and parents. I mean, parents, I know they may look like you. They, they came from you, and, and you are all excited about that, but they are a unique individual, a design of God for a specific purpose and destiny. So we cannot impose upon our children the, the, st uh, the, the staunch will of our own mind. We have to help raise them. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. So that means this reed has a certain bend. We've got to work with that child in raising them according to their bend so that they can serve the Lord all the days of their life. So there's work in understanding. Children, you need to work at understanding our parents. They are not the ones that are against us. They're the ones that love us enough to tell us no. They're the ones that love us enough to set boundaries because they care about us. And with their wisdom and their experience, they know without these boundaries, there's going to be a lot of heartache, there's going to be a lot of destruction, and there's going to be a lot of unnecessary pain. So we need to, as a, as a child, not stomp our foot and say, you need to understand me. We need to mature up and say, I need to understand my parents. It's funny, as we get older, the older we get, the more wise our parents are. It's really that we're finally owning up to understanding them and seeing that they truly had our best interest at heart. So when we look at that, we now also must bring this into the church. That we have to come into the church and we have to say, as brothers and sisters, we're not here to be understood. This is who I am. This is how I like it. This is how I don't like it. This is the way it should be. This is what makes me comfortable. We need to be here to understand. Because God is using the family in the, in the biological sense and in the spiritual sense to expand us and to strengthen us and to fill us with wisdom and to pull out of us and pull us into our destiny. But we have to work towards that. It does not just happen. We've got to, we, and, and we can't be so geared towards uh, 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 wanting our will to be pushed on other people. That is the ultimate sense of self selfishness. In James 1.19, it states that we should be swift to hear, we should be slow to speak, and slow to anger. So when we work to understand each other, what should we be doing the most of? Listening. So if you want to work to understand, instead of to be heard, you need to hear. 
We need to give each other voice. We need to share, not out of anger. We need to share, uh, not out of just uh, quick words. We need to be slow to speak, and what we say needs to be beneficial. So, parents, I don't know of any child that would be repulsed by a parent who's quick to listen and uh, listen to them because you just give them an opportunity and your children open up and they'll just start sharing with you their heart and life. We, we spend so much time uh, with our family uh, doing just that. Uh, Pastor Dick and I, we've got it pre-planned that we're not go- we'll ask a few questions and then we let them roll and we let them roll. We just want to hear their hearts. We want to see what God's doing and saying and in and through them. We want to see what their struggles are. We want to see what their challenges are. We want to see if the devil's trying to bring any fears in that they'll just open up. And it's just amazing. It is absolutely amazing. But you have to work for that. It doesn't just happen. You have to work to understand each other. The second tip is we have to keep our commitments. We have to keep our commitments. It has been said that we should be generous with praise but cautious with promises. This is something that we as parents and we as uh, family members of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be very careful at making promises. Because when we make a promise, we need to keep that promise. Amen? Amen. Parents need to do everything that we can to keep the promises that we make to our children. Spouses need to do everything they can to keep the promises that they make to each other. And children, you need to do everything you can to keep the promises you make to your parents. Now, why is keeping our commitments and honoring our promises so important? Let me tell you why. Because we all tend to construct our hopes around promises. And when a man promises to love a woman until death do them part, they give that woman a sense of security that she can now become what she was meant to be in that marriage relationship. And when, when, when parents give promises to children, it gives children a security that mom or dad who's made this promise is going to come through and if they represent God to me, then I can trust God because I was first able to trust the man or the woman I could see. Now I can trust the God who I can't see. Ecclesiastes 5 and 4 and 5 say, say this. So when you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through for God takes no pleasure in fools. Did you see that? That God would say it's foolish to make a promise and not to keep it. For God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to Him, for it is better to say nothing than to promise something that you don't follow through on. It breaks my heart when I, I, I counsel with adults who are, have arrested development. And what that means is they may be in a 20 or 30 or 40 year old body, but there's still a little kid in there that's dealing with some stuff that things they've not gotten past that yet. It's got them bound. And so many times it goes back to a, a commitment that was made that was not kept, a promise that was made that was not followed through on. And, and, it, and it ripped their security. And, it, and because the security was ripped from under them, the enemy rushed into that vacuum with anger and and with distrust. Now they say, I can't trust anyone and I'm angry and rebellion begins to rise up. So now they begin to, they don't even realize this spirit working in them. They begin to push people away and build walls because I'd rather build a wall and keep you at a distance so that you never can disappoint me rather than let you close so that you can, that I'll trust you, that you can disappoint me again. It'll never happen. 
And inner vows are made. I'll never make myself vulnerable to that person ever again. And inner vows is made from children to uh, their, their parents. And inner vows has been made from spouse to spouse saying, I know I can't trust you anymore. Oh, you just run in your mouth. You may not say it with your mouth, but you're just saying it in your head. And let me tell you what, that gives playground from the enemy to come in and bring all kinds of demonic activity to destroy your family. So it's better not to say, make a promise than to make a promise and break it. Proverbs 3, 3 and 4 says, Never let loyalty and kindness get away from you. Wear them like a necklace. Write them down within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you will gain a good reputation. Now this loyalty and kindness, this loyalty and mercy, talks about being faithful. This loyal, being faithful to do what you say you're going to do. So when we build, when we, when we keep our commitments, it builds trust. That's why it's very uh, damaging to put an expectation on someone and you don't communicate that expectation and they don't even know that expectation is there and then you, they fail to meet your expectation and now you, you lose trust in them and anything they represent. That is one of the tricks of the enemy. You should never put expectations on your spouse. You should never put expectations on your children. You should never put expectation on your parents. You should never put expectations on your employers. You should never put expectations on your pastors or any leaders over you that you do not communicate to them and come in agreement on because it's just a trick of the enemy to get you with a false sense of hope that will be smashed so that there's an open door that the, these spirits can come in and bring destruction in your life. We have to have trust. Trust is the foundation upon which the family is built. And if the family is the foundation upon which society is built, then we can say trust is the foundation upon which society exists today. But we have to keep our commitments. We have to be very focused and purposeful in making sure our commitments are priority in our lives. It is very, very important. The third tip I have for you is that we must give respect. You have to give respect. You say, I want respect. No, you got to give respect. You know, R-E-S-P-E-C-T is not just something Aretha Franklin wanted, okay? It's something all of us, none of you even caught that. Man, I'm showing my age, okay. Uh, amen. It's something all of us, all of us in any relationship we want, we need it, and we deserve it. In fact, it is next to impossible, impossible to have a deep relationship with another person without respect. It is impossible. Could it, could it be the reason some folks are not experiencing the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you is because you don't have respect for Him? Wow. Because it all works from the bottom up and the top down. It's all interlinked. Maybe that we're not having the relationships that we want in our families because the proper respect is not being given. Proverbs 14, 26 states that those who fear or respect the Lord are secure. He will be a place of refuge for their children. And another word for respect is honor. And Romans 12, 10 states that as Christ followers, that we are to take delight in honoring each other. Here, as Christ's followers, it, is, it is, should be the, the Spirit of God working in us and through us to give us delight 
in honoring each other, respecting each other. I respect your gifts. I respect your talents. I respect your anointing. I respect the call of God on your life. I respect how you're growing in the Lord and where you're at, wherever that may be. There are some people that are 70, but they're at a teenager relationship with the Lord because they came to the Lord late in life and, and they're growing and they're going from the milk to the meat of the Word. And I respect any and all of that. And as we show that respect into each other and honor each other, the Bible says that is just a sign of a Christ follower. And it should be a delight to do that. Why? Because that's what we want others to do for us. Amen? Did you get that? It's a delight. Amen? Don't amen like it's painful. It should be a delight. Praise God. Hallelujah. So how can we show respect one to another and in our family relationships? Well, by respecting each other's property. What are some of the biggest fusses you will ever hear in, among children, among siblings, as they're living up there, maybe even sharing the same room, but not wanting to share the same clothes? Right. Mama, she's got my sweater on. Daddy, daddy, he's wearing my tennis shoes. Okay. Because there's a violation of of that which has been given to them as a gift or something they've even earned and worked at and, and they weren't asked. I know in our own household out here, you know, who's got my charger? Oh, man. I said, I'm going to buy 500 chargers and I'm going to put 50 in every room. Who's got my charger? So much so, I put my initials on mine because I can't blame the kids for saying that because I went in my office one day recently and my charger was gone. And my charger was extra long so it would reach up onto my desk and not have to hang over the trash can, you know, with those little short things they give you. And I'm like, where's my charger? Who got my charger? Here I'm sounding like one of the kids. And when I got my charger back, I got PT, Pastor Tim, all over that thing. It looks like graffiti, you know. <laughs> Somebody violated my, my space. That was, that was my charger when my, my I, I'm, I'm working. I mean, I got all my reasons, okay? I'm working and, 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 and bringing the livelihood into the household and, and, and I work a lot on electronics and what if it's dying and I need to plug it in and, and I don't have my charge. Oh man, I got my case. Matlock has nothing on me. <laughs> Help me, Lord. Respecting each other's properties, respecting each other's privacy. You say, ah, this is our family, this is our house, you know, and you just feel like you can walk in anywhere you want. No, we all need privacy, especially at certain parts and, and activities that we need to take part in. We, it's better to be private. Let us close the door. Don't bam on the door. Let it be private. Respecting each other's time. Respecting each other's position. By respecting each other's aspirations and dreams and desires and for their destiny. We need to give respect. Amen? Philippians 2.3 tells us not to push our way to the front trying to sweet-talk our way to the top, but be humble and help others get ahead by lending a helping hand. Wow. So we're preferring one another. Where is that? Where's my charger? It's all about me. You know, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. You know, we need to look at lending a helping hand. Being more geared towards giving than taking. Amen. 
So here are these tips, understand each other, keep commitments, and give some respect. And the fourth one is to offer encouragement. Let me tell you what, a little encouragement goes a long, long way. Perhaps I believe the easiest way to grow a healthy relationship is to offer encouragement. A well-known actress once says, we live by encouragement, we die without it slowly, sadly, and angrily. Wow. We live by encouragement and we die without it, slow, sadly, and angrily. I wonder if that person I just met who had that angry scowl on their face maybe just needed a little encouragement. Maybe they're dying from the lack of encouragement. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 11 says, Therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Paul was coming along saying, what you guys are doing, this is good, but I'm putting it so that the church in the years to come will know the power of encouragement. It helps build each other up. So we need to, this isn't something that's an option that we can take or leave. This is commands from the Word of God telling us that we should be committed to encourage one another. And in our household, we need to encourage one another. It's so easy to only point out the negative. It's so easy to only bring to the attention of our spouse or our children or our parents the negative. But we, I'm telling you what, they will be more apt to understand and receive correction if correction is needed from us if we have first paved the way with days and days and months and years of encouragement. Let us be committed to being an encourager. They say, well, how can I encourage? Well, here's an easy one. Start smiling. Start smiling. Come on now. We need to start smiling. Yeah, there's your face right there. <coughs> Job, he was a man acquainted with grief and sorrow. But in chapter 29, verse 24, Job looks back before all that grief and sorrow came upon him. And he said in the 24th verse, he said, that I at one time it was things were so good. And he said, when people came around him that were discouraged, he said, I smiled at them, and my look of approval was precious to them. So the New Living Translation says it was precious to them. Never underestimate the power of a smile. I learned this so many years ago. I remember when we were planning the church here in 1992, and uh, there was a little fellowship hall about the size of that little storage building that we built off of the fellowship hall now. And uh, it was a storage building, but I turned it into a fellowship hall. It had no windows. It had no plumbing. It was just the ceiling was like seven foot tall, and it was just a little storage building. But we didn't have a fellowship hall, so I turned it into a fellowship hall. But it wasn't a fellowship hall at this time. I just emptied all the animals and the junk out of it and set up some tables and chairs in there had the phone company come and bring me five phone lines, and I set up a phone center where we were going to start calling out and finding folks who had never, that were not in a church. That was our first question. Do you currently attend a church? And if they said yes, we said, well, God bless you. Uh, support your pastor on Sunday, and we closed it at that. If they said, no, I don't have a church, then we would say, well, we're planning a new church. Would you be interested in receiving more information about this church? And... Um, so we were, were doing all of our training for that, and we weren't having very good success. And I go to one of the experts in the field, uh, and I said, and I met with him, and I said, we're not having the numbers, or not, our statistics are not coming back the way they should, and uh, I don't know what we're doing wrong. And he says, well, did you teach your team to smile? And I said, sir? He said, did you teach your team to smile? 
And I said, no, sir, we're doing the phones. The phones, not, you know, this was 92. There wasn't even the FaceTime and all that stuff. It was, sir, this is a phone. He says, I understand, but you must teach them the principle of the power of the smile. He said, when you smile, even when you're talking, you will convey a different spirit than when you, if you don't. So I got the team together, and they were all regent students, and we got together and pulled them in, and I said, look, if you guys are going to pass your, your test and, and get a good grade in this course of practically planting a church, which is going to be to my advantage because I'm here to actually be the pastor of this church, we've got we to use and employ the principle of the, of the power of the smile. And they all looked at me and said, have you been smoking something? And I said, no, no, I met with Dr. Weston, and he has said we have to employ the principle of the power of the smile. So I told him what he had said, and, and so we tried it. And for six or eight or 13 weeks, I'm forgetting how long we even went, we used that. And our numbers, I had a chart, and I had a, 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 a chalkboard, and I would do a chart day to day. And it was just, it was flat line. It was like, beep. Like if you were in the hospital, it was like, oh, call the undertaker. Beep. Nothing was happening. But we employed the power of the principle of the smile, and tick, 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 beep, 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 beep. This thing went right on up. To where what we have here today came out of that uh, success of the power of the smile. That when you smile, and, and, and Dr. Weston told me, and I studied behind him to make sure he was right, that it takes less muscles to smile than it does to frown. So we work hard at opening a door for bad spirits to be communicated in and through our life because we go around with a frown. I, I've been called the smiling preacher before, and I, when they, somebody said that, you know, I, I don't know if they meant it to kind of like punch me, I enjoyed hearing that. I'm like, praise God, what I learned to, that was important, I'm doing. And, and I smile at home. I smile at the grocery store. I smile when I'm checking out and the bill's much higher than I expected. I still smile because I bought the stuff. I put it in the buggy. I was hungry. You don't go grocery shopping when you're hungry. But I did, and now I'm going to pay the bill, but I'm going to pay it with a smile. It's not the cashier's fault that I, I'm hungry and everything in every aisle look good to me. I'm thinking recipes that I hadn't thought of in 30 years. I could see that and say, that could be the ingredient for this. And man, I'm pulling it all together. You don't go shopping when you're hungry. But I chop out with a, I check out with a smile. Okay. So by smiling, smile at your spouse. You say, well, I've been married to, the, to, 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 to them for, so what? You should smile the more that they put up with you all these years. Come on now. Smile at your children. Here he says, my look of approval. He said that smile was taken as a look of approval. My look of approval was precious to them. Your children need to feel approval from you. And even though you don't want to go around always saying, well, I approve of you this, and I think you're special here, and I just over and over because then it kind of loses its punch. Your smile, your smile will say so much what the Word of God says. So we encourage by smiling. See, that's, that right now, you can do, it's easy. You can do it. If you've got a family member here, look at them and smile. Smile, go ahead. Come on, there you go, Hal. Look at there, look at there. That's easy, come on. Mo, you're in the church family. Look at somebody smile. Yeah, there you go. That's not hard. When I walk out of my office, every time I'm coming to meet with someone or anything, the first thing I think in my mind is make sure you're smiling. I've done this for 
I've been here 25 years since I got that lesson. And I do it all the time because I want to be an encourager. I want God to use me to put courage in someone so they can fulfill what God's called them to do. And if my smile, if something that easy can help them, then shame on me if I won't discipline my mouth or my, yeah, my mouth and cheeks, you know, to smile. Also, we encourage by our words. Someone noted, man doesn't live by bread alone, but also needs buttering up. That's good, yeah. We do, we need that. Words are powerful. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, 21, that life and death is in the power of the tongue. Your words can release life or death in the person that you're speaking to. It also says blessing and curses is in the power of the tongue. You can release blessings or curses with your words. Be very, very careful not to tear down, but rather to build up each other. And let me tell you what, in the family unit, when we get familiar with each other, it's easy to get slack with our words. But that's the place we need it the most because our family is the foundation of, of society and we can't let the devil come in and destroy our family. So instead of being lax because we know each other and, and, and giving the devil an inroad into the very core of humanity, and, and we need to be guarded. We need to say, wait a minute, if we can't take care of our own household, we're worse than an infidel. Remember we opened up in Timothy there, what Paul said? So we've got to take care of our household with our words. Another way to encourage is pointing out the positive. Every situation has negatives and positives, or it wouldn't be a situation. There may be fewer positives than negatives, in some situations but don't be the one that always points out the negatives because believe you me we all see the negatives we smell the negatives we're impacted by the negatives we don't need you enhancing the negatives if you can put some salt on anything and enhance it put it on the positive so that we can maybe get through the negative but our sinful flesh nature is rooted in negative. And the closer we are to walking with our sinful, fleshly nature, the quicker we are to point out the negative. But the closer we sanctify ourselves and separate ourselves and say, wait a minute, I've been redeemed, I'm born again, washed in the blood of Jesus, my name's written in the Lamb's book of life, the old me is dead and I've been born again, a new creation in Christ Jesus, it's time for me to get closer and closer to the goodness of my God and with the goodness of my God in the light of His love and the warmth of His glory, then I, I am more positioned to see the positive than the negative. We need to offer pointing out the positives with, with each other. A reporter once asked Andrew Carnegie, the great entrepreneur, you know, previous generation, why he hired 43 millionaires to work for him. Can you imagine having that payroll, Townsend? You've got 43 millionaires that work for you. And they work for you, so they're making their millions from you. Well, he pointed out that those men were not millionaires when he hired them. So the reporter followed up and he said, how did you develop these men to become so valuable that you paid them so much money? And Carnegie replied that people are developed the same way that gold is mined. He said, when gold is mined, several tons of dirt must be moved to get to an ounce of gold. 
You don't mine, you don't go into the mine looking for the dirt, you go into mine looking for the gold. And that, to me, that just says it all. That we look for the gold in each other. There's maybe a lot of dirt, but we're going, why sit there and point at the dirt? They know it's dirt. They know it's negative. Why? We want to help them. We want to help mine through the dirt and help them discover the gold of who they are and what God has called them to be. Amen? So let's be like Christ and look for gold in others. And then another way to encourage is by giving gifts. Giving gifts, did you know, really encourage. Uh, Pastor Deacon and I, we've been blessed and, and, you know, thank God he's blessed us and, and, and like our children say, you guys have everything. We don't have everything, but we have everything we need. We have everything that we need. And some people, uh, and our kids have even said, it, you know, what would, we, what would we give you? What would we give you? And it's not the what it's that, that brings the power of encouragement. It's the act that gives the power of encouragement. It can be the smallest thing. Some of you found out that Pastor Radika has uh, no storage or uh, storehouse uh, in abundance of chocolate that what comes in gets consumed. So you found something that comes and goes so you can bring her a little chocolate here and a little chocolate there. She comes home like a little girl that came home and, and, you know, from, from school and just won the, won the biggest prize of all. She's like, and she's, all, she's hovering over it, and we respect her, because so we know that's hers, but we know as soon as she gets that chocolate on her tongue and she gets a little satisfied, then she starts sharing. And then she's like, well, I'll share. And we're like, no, we want you to have that for later. And, uh, and then she puts it in her spot. But because she offered it and we didn't take it at that time, we know we can go to that spot and get it. Then when she goes back to that spot and it's not there, she needs some more encouragement. <laughs> <clears throat> in Acts 4.36, we read there was a man named Joseph, one of the apostles nicknamed him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was such an encourager, they said, we call you son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus, and he wanted to give so much that he went and sold his property, he sold a field that he had, and he brought the money to the apostles for those in need. He just he wanted to encourage the work of God. He wanted to encourage uh, Paul coming in as an apostle and, and fulfilling his destiny. He was just such an opening door for, for what we have in the gospel, uh, gospel today that is recorded in the Bible. And it came from an encourager, so much so that God's Word records that his name was, or his nickname was given to him, a son of encouragement. Would you be a Barnabas? Would you get God's attention so much that he's going to record that this one loves me in such a measure and is such an encourager. He lifts the hearts. He lifts the spirit. He lifts his family to the next level because he or she is such an encourager that he, he would nickname you that. Daughter of encouragement. Son of encouragement. Well, giving gifts is one way to encourage. You can really, and it doesn't have to be expensive and it doesn't have to be... You know, there's one person... That is just an amazing uh, at this. Uh, how many of you know DeAndrea? Uh, Mark East and DeAndre East, Dr. Mark and his wife, Dr. East and his wife. She, is she here? I don't see her. She's, she's really here on Wednesday night. And uh, my, my, she's always, 
She's got a little CD she's recorded. She's got a little teaching here. She's got a, this past Sunday, she gave me a little bag with just some wiping rags in it for my face. And, and they're so soft, I want to sleep on them like a pillow, you know. And uh, she always says, it's not much, it's not much. But she just doesn't know just what a blessing that is. And I know it's just not to me. She just does that for so many people. And, and I believe God has called her nickname Daughter of Encouragement. I don't know the feminine of Barnabas or Barnabai or Barnabur or what, but she, she would definitely get that. And I know some of you, we wouldn't be in this church today. We wouldn't be in this building today had you not acted upon that spirit, that anointing of encouraging and encouraged us. And not only encouraged us with your words and your smiles, but you gave sacrificially for, this, for us to even be in this ministry center, this sanctuary tonight. Oh, I thank Thank God for encouragers. They're so powerful. And in that fifth tip, tip I'm going to give you as we close tonight is ask for and offer forgiveness. Forgiveness is key. Anyone who lives in a family of any, at any time knows you're going to get disappointed and you're going to get hurt and you, you going, things are not going to always be a smiles, peaches, and cream, right? Amen. Going through life, there are some challenges. Okay. And, um, and I asked a couple who had been married for over 50 years what was their secret to their long, happy marriage. And uh, quickly they said, you have to overlook a whole lot of stuff and you've got to learn to forgive each other. And that is, that is wise advice. Colossians 3.13 states, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now God has to give us that command because forgiveness is not natural. It don't come easy, does it? I mean, you're like, oh, I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, I like holding this over their head. I like being mad at them. I like looking at ways that I can make them hurt or, or, or undermine them. In the, you know, oh my, it's not natural. It seems natural to be born to carry a grudge. It comes so easy. It's like weeds. I mean, thank God for Brother Ernesto and Veterans Lawn Care. I mean, Man, they, they, they come and they fight against that which is natural and they work so hard to give us a beautiful lawn and they do an amazing job at it. But I guarantee if he was to put his weed control to the side that my beautiful lawn would be overtaken. The natural is that influenced by the sinful. And that which is easily grown is, bears no fruit that will sustain you. And the grudge comes natural. But it will not sustain you. It will destroy you. We have to forgive. He says bear. That word, when I was reading that, I went into the Greek and owned that, and I said, you know, what does that mean? It means come under the heavy burden of. So that means other people's improprieties and things that they do or don't do, they're going to weigh down on you. And you don't ignore it and say, it's just all in the head. No, it's really there. And they may be really being a jerk about it. But he says, you've got to bear with each other. Get under the load of this to forgive whatever grievances. And grievances tied to that word bear in the Greek, which means the heavy burden that causes pain. So the heavy burden that causes pain that comes through relationship, we have to work through that to forgive one another. Any pain in your family, between you and your spouse, between you and your children, between you and your parents, between you and your siblings, 
between you, you and your brothers and sisters in Christ, any heavy burden that has come that has brought great pain to you, the Bible commands we've got to work through that to forgive just as the Lord forgave you. The Bible is very, very clear on these instructions that we must forgive. So much so that he says if we refuse to forgive those who have wronged us, God is going to refuse to forgive us in that we've wronged him. Wow. Sounds like an important hinge in our life that we got to work on. Forgiveness. There was this uh, man, the Spanish had this story, and they said there was this man, uh, his father and son became estranged, and the son got angry, and, and he left home as soon as he could. And he went, and the father had gone out looking for him, and uh, month after month after month, six months had passed, nine months had passed, no success. So finally, in desperation, the father turned to the newspaper for help and said, I'm just going to put an ad in the paper. So the ad simply read, Dear Paco, that was his nickname, popular nickname in, in, in Spanish. He says, Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. I'm still your dad and I love you. I want you to know all is forgiven. Please come, your father. And on Saturday, there were hundreds of young men named Paco who showed up for forgiveness and to receive love from their strange father. And, they, they, and let me tell you what, that little story right there says a lot. The enemy is at work to destroy your relationship between you and your parents and to destroy your relationship between you and your spouse and to destroy your relationship between you and your children and to destroy your relationship between you and your fellow of brothers and sisters in Christ. But these five tips, if you'll work them, I guarantee you, you will see Holy Ghost anointing and power bring about a resurgence and a charge and a change and healing in your relationships. So here are the five. Understand each other. Work hard at understanding each other. Not being understood, but to understand each other. Keep commitments. Make the promise. Keep it. Don't make promises you can't keep. Give respect so important offer encouragement how by smiling by using our words to encourage by what giving gifts blessing one another so offer encouragement and ask for and offer forgiveness with which if you violate that one you stand estranged from God and the devil has wide open access to you and we want none of you to be there as your shepherd, I want to see you protected. As your shepherd, I want to see you healthy. I want to see you blessed. I want to see you by the green pastures and the still waters. I want to see you going to the next level and being blessed in every area. So we need to heed the Word of God. So these are five tips, but they're really commands that we find in the New Testament for us today. Is there any of these that you can begin to employ as soon as you get ready to leave from here tonight? I pray that you will not only take notes, but you're going to go and you're going to activate this in all of your relationships. If you do, you're going to find a new measure of grace of God that you've not known before. And you're going to find that, that it's like the tide's going to lift. And what you've been trying to pick up, your family, you've been trying to get it to the next level, you're going to find like that hot air balloon. You're going to find it just starts lifting off. And the, you'll, have to hold, you'll have to take ropes to hold it back. 
And if you'll take off those ropes by these five tips, you'll find that you can soar with your family and your relationships to a whole nother level. Does anybody need a next level in your in relationships in your life? Does anybody need this? Praise God. Praise God. Let's stand together. Father, we just want to thank you for your word tonight, God. Lord, we just want to thank you for how you teach us such practical ways that make such a, a demand and make such an impact on our lives. Lord, you created us. And you created us. You've given us the manual for how to successfully live. So, Lord God, we thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for these five important points here tonight that we can take. We can not only uh, meditate upon them, but, God, we can employ them and use them in blessing our family members and blessing one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So, Father, as we go into this night, we go into the, your grace, we go into your love, and we go into your blessings as we take and walk out your word, not just hear it, but do it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. How about turn to your family members and love on somebody's neck, hug somebody, go ahead and shake somebody's hand. Give somebody a high five. Let's bless one another as we go into this night. And if anybody needs prayer, I'm up here always. I'll pray with you. Just come, and I'll be glad to do something.